0: Let us pray. Almighty, gracious Father, You who are merciful and forgiving, You who have called us to be Your own, oh You who have made all things, and when those things fell, You chose to redeem instead of condemn. We look to You, O Father, this day to plant deep within us Your words, to plant deep within us knowledge of the truth that it might bubble up as life and salvation for us as we consider and contemplate this work of Jesus Christ, what He has done for us May we be refreshed. May we be strengthened. May may we be renewed in zeal to follow Him, to endure with Him, to suffer with Him. That through us, you would make Him known. That He would be made known across this whole earth. All of this we do ask through that very same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And so here we are this day, Palm Sunday, the day that begins Holy Week. We began simply outside with our procession, singing Hosanna in the highest, singing to our King. In many ways, singing as those first people sang on that day so long ago, on that moment of triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. That triumphal entry that would lead ultimately to His death. Something struck me this week. Throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is called the light of the world. Throughout Scripture, the light represents God Himself. And ultimately in the New Testament comes to remind us of Christ. He is the light of the world. He is the one who shines on us and opens our eyes, opens our hearts to realize who God truly is. To realize the work of God on our behalf. And here on this first day of the week, the light enters Jerusalem. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And on the first day, He said, let there be light. On Palm Sunday, we have the triumphal entry of the light into Jerusalem. We have the light approaching this week, this ultimately week, but yet, not ultimate, but penultimate, this week that will end old creation in so many ways. Jesus rides upon the donkey to the shouts of, Oh, save us now! He is coming as the light to bring salvation. Just as on that original first day, light came to shine upon all of creation. Now on this Palm Sunday, this first day of Holy Week, the one who made that original light the Lord Himself enters into Jerusalem. And we all know where this ends up. It ends up on that sixth day with Him being crucified on our behalf. And then on the seventh day, resting in the tomb. Just as God rested on the seventh day after making all things. And so in many ways, this is the final week of the world. The final week of old creation, of the old age. For here we're beginning that movement toward something new, toward the new creation. It will break forth. But in order for that new creation to break forth, it is preceded first by the end of the old creation. The end of the old way of being, the end of the of the old way of existence. For here in this last and final week, the Messiah dies for our sins. He dies for our sins, for my sins, for your sins, for all those things that you have done wrong, that I have done wrong, those things that you will do wrong, the things that I will do wrong. That work of Jesus will encompass all of that and draw us to Himself. And yet here He comes into Jerusalem this day. At the beginning of the final week of His life before He dies and is raised again. The final week of the old. The light entering into the world. Entering into that place that God has chosen as His habitation. He travels over the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem itself. But not just into that city of David. Into that place that David chose to be the capital of His kingdom, but even more so toward the temple itself. He's moving toward the temple where Yahweh Himself has chosen to dwell. The glory is coming. So we consider this here in Matthew 21, this triumphal entry as they are coming into Jerusalem, to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, He sends His disciples ahead to find a colt, to find a donkey. We often think of donkeys, when we think of them in an ordinary sense, it's just plain old animals, beasts of burden. Not much good for anything except pulling stuff around for us. We don't think of them as a kingly animal. But yet, for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, in their imagination, the donkey is... Just that, a kingly mount. It's not accidental that Jesus chose a donkey. We hear that He comes humble and mounted on a donkey from Zechariah. But the donkey isn't representing His humility. The donkey represents His power. It represents His authority as a king. All the way back in the book of Judges, chapters 10 and 12, the judge's sons there it mentions various sons of two different judges, and they rode upon donkeys, exercising authority. They rode upon those donkeys while their fathers reigned over parts of Israel as judges and rulers. Even more, King David in First Kings 1 insists upon Solomon himself, his son, that is now king, to ride upon David's mule to ride upon that mule into Jerusalem as the crowds declare him king of the of the people of Israel that is the sign of whom david has chosen to be king the one riding upon that donkey is the man that david has chosen he is the man that david has vested authority in as david lays dying preparing to die that donkey is a mark of authority It is a mark of power. It is a mark of who the king is. It's not accidental. And so the disciples go and claim a donkey. And it's the only time in the Gospels that Jesus does not walk somewhere. It's the only time that he rides upon an animal. He occasionally rides in a boat across the Sea of Galilee. But in all other circumstances he walks. And it was expected for pilgrims coming into Jerusalem for the Passover to walk unless they were unable to walk. If you were capable of walking in any way, you were expected to walk. And here is Jesus perfectly capable of walking who has walked up and down to and fro throughout all of Judea, throughout all of Galilee. And here He is calling for a donkey. Because He was going to make it a sign of who He is. That He is the King. He is the One who comes into Jerusalem as a King. As the true King. As the one and proper King. And the people celebrate it. They recognize what Jesus is doing. They have heard the stories of Him. They have heard how wonderful He is. How great He is. And here He is traveling in Jerusalem on a donkey. Like Solomon of old. Solomon, the king of peace, whose very name is related to Shalom. Here comes Jesus into the city. And the people wave palm branches for the sake of Jesus. It's only St. John who mentions that it is specifically palm branches. Matthew here, as well as Luke and Mark, merely mention that they cut down branches and spread them on the road and were waving them. The reason for palm branches is important because, again, it points to just how conscious these Jewish people were of their history. This is something about kingship with these palm branches. In 1 Maccabees 13, a history of the times between the Old and New Testaments, Simon Maccabeus had expelled the enemies of the Jews from Jerusalem. He had set about cleaning the temple, cleansing the land. And the people responded with praises, cutting down palm branches and waving them and coming into the city, declaring that God had overcome all of their enemies. That there was a new kingship to be established there in Jerusalem because the enemies of God had been kicked out. The temple had finally been cleansed. The Gentiles were gone. And so the Maccabean family was declared to be a kingly family to rule over the people. Take care of the people. And there, Israel had, Judah had a very brief moment of independence. Later on, during the revolts of the Jews in the 60s and in the 130s, the palm branch came to represent freedom from Romans, freedom from the Gentiles. They minted coins with palm branches on them to use in their trading, to use in their buying and selling. Independence. And their own king and authority is what these palm branches represent. And here they are waving them for Jesus himself. Jesus is some kind of king that is going to free the people and bring peace. He is going to overthrow the oppressors for them. And so he comes on a donkey. With the people singing and praising him. With the people waving palm branches for him. He is the one who will bring peace to the nations. And he will rule from sea to sea according to Zechariah 9, 9, and 10. He comes riding upon this donkey declaring his authority. The people waving palm branches saying that they recognize him as king and he is the one who will bring peace. That just as Solomon, the king of peace, rode into Jerusalem here, Jesus, the light of the world, rides into Jerusalem to bring true peace. To bring ultimate peace. Not the kind of peace they were seeking in their short-sightedness. Peace from Rome, peace from the Gentile world, an opportunity to just simply be without fearing assault of the enemies, without fearing the Gentiles overrunning them. But Jesus is coming to bring true peace to the people. He'll bring true shalom, an end of our hatred toward God, an end of the separation between God and man. He will become the one who causes true peace to finally, truly exist. And not only will there be a ceasefire and an end of the hostilities, there will be prosperity and life and salvation for all who are found to be in the realm of this Messiah. For all who receive Him, He will make new. For all who follow after Him, He will grant to them His peace. And the people seeing this King who they believe will bring peace Not recognizing the fullness of the peace he will truly bring, they do cry out, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest on this first day of the old wearing down. On this day, as the light enters into Jerusalem, the people cry out, Hosanna! Which is a rallying cry of, Oh, save us. It is a prayer, Oh, save us now. Take away from us the oppression that is upon us. They could only see Roman oppression, they could only see Gentile oppression. They were subjugated to the rule of Rome. And they could do nothing about it. And so the people cried to Jesus, Oh, save us now! Oh, King of David, save us now! Save us now in the highest! We see that there is more than just physical oppression from which we need saving They could only see their immediate need in so many ways. They were aware of their sinfulness. Yes, they were aware of their need for redemption, but they saw that as being fulfilled by the temple. That was the work of the temple sacrifices to deal with that in preparation for the Messiah, not fully understanding what the Messiah had to do in order to bring true redemption. And so their words are cries of help, not fully fully realizing the level of help that they truly need. It has such deeper meaning than just save us from the oppressors, but save us from ourselves. Save us from the one who truly oppresses me. Sin, death, and the devil, and and the use and the abuse of me that they bring upon me. It's easy to become blinded by our physical needs that we forget about our spiritual needs. But here we have to step back and see that we need saving from ourselves. There's a hidden brokenness that pervades all of us. And so we should cry out, Oh, save us now, O King of David, O Son of David. I always remember those words of G.K. Chesterton, a partially apocryphal story of a newspaper editor asking for replies to what is wrong with the world. And G.K. Chesterton simply replying, Dear Sir, I am. No one's ever found the exact news article or the newspaper that that was printed in, but he did write it in a book called What is Wrong with This World. He wrote something along those lines of I am the problem. Instead of asking what is wrong in this world, we should ask what is wrong in me. And if we confront what is wrong in me, if everyone did that, we would have a utopia. If we cried out to Yahweh, "O oh, save us, O oh, save us in the highest, bring to us new life, bring to us renewal. Take away our sins and make us whole. Take away our bitterness and our fighting. Take away our resistance that we might know peace. O oh, save us from ourselves, O oh Lord. O oh, save us from the sin within, O oh, save us from sin, death and the devil. For they influence that which is broken within me. They drive me away from you by enticing that which wants to run away from you. And so we cry out, Hosanna in the highest. Oh, save us, King of David, from ourselves. And this King of David can save us from ourselves because He is the Lord in human flesh. He is the Lord incarnate. He is the God of all creation who has come down to be a servant. As we heard in Philippians 2 just a little while ago, a servant, one who would submit even unto death, one who would submit to the sacrifice, even death upon a cross. He didn't count his equality with God as something that he could cling to in this life. Instead, he submitted to the Father. He emptied himself and became a servant and died on our behalf. Removing our sins from us in the process. Removing what is broken in us. And dealing with it completely. And it's because He is the King of David. The One who can answer that prayer of blessed. Or the One that can answer that prayer of Hosanna. Because He is that One. The people shout out, Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. You may notice... Every week as we sing the Sanctus, when we get to that point, I always cross myself, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because it is a baptismal moment there in the Sanctus. For Jesus is the blessed one who has come from the Lord and His blessedness brings to each and every one of us salvation. And so it is a moment of crying out, blessed is he who comes. That is a baptismal moment that I am taking Him to myself. I am receiving Him to mark myself with the cross that was marked on me in baptism to receive once more that renewal of that blessed one coming to me as he came to me in baptism, as he came to you in baptism. And what is so beautiful is blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord because it is God himself that comes in the name of God. We can only say that and truly mean it because it is God himself coming for us. God himself coming to save us and to redeem us. Hosanna in the highest. The light has come into the city of Jerusalem. The light is approaching the temple. The light is shining upon the people and some are responding, some are receiving. But by the week's end, it will seem that that light is snuffed out. As we heard in the Passion narrative, Jesus, it will be crucified. Everything is leading toward that moment. When instead of man being created, as it was on that first sixth day of creation week, the one true man, the one man who has fulfilled all things before the Father will be put to death by the creation. Instead of life springing forth on the sixth day, death overcomes the light of the world. Death puts to death the Son of God Himself. But that is not the end. Because the darkness does not understand the light. The darkness does not understand that it can't overcome. The darkness cannot defeat the light, for the light will overcome the darkness. Because in that moment that the darkness overcomes the light, darkness is defeated. Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. The devil is defeated. Hell is broken open. Because of what Christ does upon that cross. The darkness will resist and fight back because it doesn't understand what the light is accomplishing in that moment. St. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 2 8, if the authorities and the powers of this world truly understood who the Lord was, who Jesus was, they wouldn't have crucified him because they would have known that through that crucifixion he would defeat them. But they were blinded in their hatred. They were blinded by the desire for autonomy. But nonetheless, this day the light has come. That light will shine upon us and the light shines upon us continually. And He has come to reclaim us from the powers of darkness. And I pray that our eyes will be eternally opened to this light, to receive this light. May we fully see what it is that we are asking for when we cry out Hosanna to the Son of David. Save us, O oh Lord, now. May we see that it is from ourselves, first and foremost, that it is from sin, death, and the devil that we need saving from. As we travel this week, let us contemplate, may we contemplate, the work of the Father for us through Christ. May we contemplate our rebellion that God has tamed by putting his son to death. And putting His Son to death, He then turns His light upon us to renew us, to remake us. Because He will raise that Son back up. Because death cannot hold the perfect Holy One. Death cannot hold that true light that shines upon the creation. And in shining down, it restores creation through death and resurrection. It restores creation to the very One who has made it. And so may we, contemplate that light who came into this place, who came to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the first day of the last week of the world. The light has come and the light shines upon us and may we be renewed continually by that light who is the true light that brings about the redemption of all creation in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.